Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. That song, Down at Your Feet, Bowing Before the Lord, says, is the most high place. Now that's kind of not what we might expect, right? We typically think of the highest place are those who exalt themselves, right? And build themselves up and... uh, but. God's way is different. By the way, that's true in a lot of things. God's way is different than our natural ways. And so this idea of humbling ourselves before God is really the highest place we could ever be, the greatest decision we could ever make. And and these folks who got baptized today are saying that they made that decision. And because here's the reality, and this is, it's just, the news is so good, so amazing. And that's that when we look at our lives, and the time we were born, when we were born, we were selfish little creatures, weren't we? I mean, aren't babies the cutest thing in the world? Until in the middle of the night, they have a hold of their crib going, and what they're saying, I've learned how to interpret baby ease. Where are my servants? Where are my servants? And they are cute, right? And they haven't learned lots of bad stuff. But that nature inside, see, is about self. And we grow up, and that nature deep down inside is still that way. And uh, we learn how to disguise it, though, right? We learn how to maybe act a little different, but it's still there. That problem is still there. And the, the Bible calls that the sin nature. The sin nature that we were born with, that we inherited from Adam and Eve all the way down. And, and so because of that, it's in nature, we sin. We don't, the Bible, when the um, religious leaders come to Jesus and, and they're always trying to trick him with something, but they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And they're thinking of the 10 commandments, which of those are the greatest? And Jesus said, well, here's the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is that you love God with your whole being, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You love, you know, God comes first in your life in every way. And he said, there's a second one like it, and that's that you love your neighbor. You love the people in your life as much as you love yourself. And guess what? We've broken both of those commandments, haven't we? I mean, I, don't, I, I know for a fact there's, I mean, you could say it, but it wouldn't be true. I know for a fact that nobody here today can truthfully say, I have always loved God supremely before all else in my life. None of us could say that. In fact, there's a good chance a bunch of us this morning didn't do that like we maybe should have. Okay? And certainly we have not always loved our neighbor the same way we love ourselves. We tend to prioritize ourselves. Right? And so we aren't loving the way God loves. And so we have broken those commandments. And we could go through the Ten Commandments and show how we've broken all of them. Because Jesus really tells us that it's the heart of the matter that's going on. He says that if you are experiencing hatred towards someone, that's, he says that's, that's what's behind murder. He said and if you're experiencing sexual lust towards someone, that's, that's what's behind adultery. I mean, so we've all failed, haven't we? We've all failed to measure up to God's standard, which is perfection. It's, it's himself. We failed to measure up. And now, again, this is where uh, it's counterintuitive because what do we think we need to do to fix it then? 
we tend to think what? Oh, I need to do a better job. I need to make some changes. I need to stop this and I need to start that. And maybe I, maybe I should just get real religious, right? I should go to church and, and sing in the choir if they have one and I give money and, and I, I've got to try to somehow rather make up for all of this. Once again, God's way is not our natural way because what God says is that you can't fix the problem. It's impossible because you have to be perfect. And how many times you got to mess up not to be perfect? Okay, so none of us are perfect here today, right? We've all failed to measure up to God's standard. And that gets in the way of so many things in our lives, of being who God wants us to be and, and uh, living the way that he wants us to live and really the ways that will be the most satisfying and fulfilling to us. But our tendency is to think we've got to do all these things so God will maybe accept me. Maybe my good will outweigh my bad or certainly I'll be better than those really bad people. And God says, no, 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 no. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to admit, be honest about the fact that you have failed and that you have sinned, so you're a sinner. We all are from birth. You acknowledge that before him and then you believe what the Bible says, that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world and he lives this perfect and sinless life as the man Jesus and then he goes to the cross and as he dies on the cross, the Bible tells us that God took all of, the, all of my sins which are many, and all of your sins, all sins of the whole world, and as Jesus died, he dies there paying the penalty for that so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for it. And if we will admit to God that we have sinned against him and, and violated his commandments and, and, and choose then to believe that Jesus did what the Bible says he did and that he's who the Bible said he was, that at that point we can make a decision to put our faith in Jesus. To say, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. I accept your payment for the penalty for my sins. Good, good news. The Bible tells us when we get to that point that at that point in time, every sin is forgiven. Every sin. The, before you make this decision, you still got all those sins on your own account. But when you make that decision to receive Christ, he takes away that away from your account. He cleans up the account and he puts his righteousness on our account. Second thing is we have eternal life. When this life comes to an end, we go on living with the Lord as opposed to going to hell because we're guilty of being sinners before God. Unsaved sinners. And so he comes, we get eternal life, and then he moves into us. He moves inside of us. It's what the Bible talks about being born again. It's not some weird thing. It's about God and his life coming into us. And at that point, we become immediately perfect on the outside, right? No? No, of course we don't. We're now we're a work in progress. We've got all these, we've got all the old ways of thinking need to start changing. We've got the old ways of living that need to start changing. Uh, our motives need to start changing. And so, but we have received Christ as Savior. And we settle that issue. And if you haven't settled that issue, all the rest of the stuff I'm going to talk about today really doesn't apply to you yet. It could. And so let me encourage you, even at this moment, you're here, you're watching, you're listening. Uh, if, if you haven't made that decision right now, just in your heart, say, okay, God, that is me. I have sinned. I believe. And I receive Jesus as my Savior. Do that. Do it right now. 
All right, and let's continue. So we've talked about, we've reached this decision. And here in Philippians, we're talking about what do we do now? Well, as Christians, we see that we're called to do what? Go all in with the Lord. Romans chapter 12, the first part of it, gives us some insight into what needs to happen now. And the first thing he says is present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And when he says present your bodies, he's really mean present your whole being. He isn't saying present your body, but hang on to your soul, right? No, it all goes together. So you're presenting yourself to God. God, I am yours. Um, and this is, this is the idea of going all in, right? It's realizing what God has called us to, what he's done in our lives and what it means. And so we say that's that once and for all decision, Lord, just like I've received Christ, we now say, okay, Lord, I am all in with you. Whatever you want, whenever you want it, wherever, however. And, and Lord, I need you to help me because I don't have a clue and I don't feel like I have the strength. But God, I'm making this commitment. And he'll, he'll meet you there and take you there. And so what we want to talk about today is the second part here in, in, in this passage. It says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We need to change the way we think. Before we get saved, we're thinking all naturally, everything that just comes natural to us. And, and what is natural is not always right. What is natural is not always good. And so we need to change the way we're thinking. And so today's sermon is entitled Healthy Thinking for All-In Christians. We make the decision go in. How should we be thinking? How should that affect us? So let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath the chairs in front of you there. We would encourage you to follow along. I think you find that helpful. Uh, we're going to be on page 1,350 today. 1,350. And so we're going to see today five ways of thinking that if we're all in with Christ, that five ways we should be thinking. But let's, let's read the passage here first and, and make sure we understand it. He says in verse 12, not that I have already attained. Okay, before I go on, I should set this up. Remember last week we saw Paul talking about his life apart from Christ, uh, anything that we do apart from Christ before we come to receive him as Savior, and in our life when we do things separately from Christ, it's all called flesh. Remember that, flesh? and that the flesh doesn't accomplish God's purposes anyway. And so Paul talks about, man, I am setting aside that the best I can, and I am trying to really lean into my relationship with Christ so that it changes how I live. And he says, I'm going to find my joy and my satisfaction in Christ. And then he comes to this verse, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your living word here. And I pray that 
uh, you would speak it into our hearts and minds today, not just the things I'm saying, but the things that you want us personally to hear through that. Pray that your spirit would enlighten us, challenge us and encourage us. And that we'd open our hearts to you now, ready to respond. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's walk through this a little bit and make sure we really get what Paul is trying to tell us here before we go and say, what are those five ways of thinking? So go back to verse 12 here. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. So he's saying, hey, I'm telling you all this stuff, but I haven't arrived yet either, right? I, I haven't got it all nailed down either. I am making progress. But he, so I'm saying, I, I, you know, even though I'm saying, man, I have chosen Christ, I've chosen my relationship with Christ, I still have a long way to go. I have, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. I press on and look down in verse 14. He says, I press toward, okay? So those are the same words in the Greek, which this was originally written. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. This is translation from that. And this word that's translated press on and press toward means to pursue with all haste, to chase after. Okay, I'm going to, to chase after this in my life. And, and there is, any of you who have kids ever said, come on kids, we gotta go. And you're going someplace. I mean, usually they're running off ahead of you and you're trying to stop them, right? Until you say, come on kids, we gotta go. And they, <laughs> right? But Paul is saying when he uses this word, press on, press toward, it's not that, it's I gotta go. I have to do this. I'm chasing after this. I, 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 this is so important to me. Back in 1997, there was a, a Christian author who wrote a book called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Okay, The Tyranny of the Urgent. And he talked about two concepts. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Sergey. Two concepts. Things that are urgent and things that are important, right? The urgent ones are the ones that are yelling at you, telling you what? Do this now. Come on, you got to do it. Got to do it. Come on, wait. Got to get it done. And what's important is oftentimes quiet. Okay, it's, it's, this is important, but it doesn't seem urgent at the moment. Okay, and he, what he's doing is challenge us to, to choose, to make sure we get the important done, because the urgent will steal what's important. You won't get to it. And so he put together this little quadrant. And so let's take a look at this to help us make decisions. And so he has on the, over here on the left side, not important and important. On the top, urgent, not urgent. Okay, so he's saying the things, let's go over to the red here, things that are not important and not urgent, why are you doing them? Right? They aren't urgent, they aren't important. Don't do them. Okay, and then he said it's not important, but it feels urgent. Oh, this has got to happen. He said, hey, let somebody else do that. Okay, you don't do that. And then he said, okay, if it's important, but not urgent, it's, it is important, so you need to do what? Schedule it. Write it down, make sure it's gonna happen, make sure you get it done. And then finally he said, if something is both important and urgent, what? Do it first. Do that first. And this is the kind of idea that the Apostle Paul is catching when he uses this word, press on, I chase after. Okay, press on, press forward, do first. In other words, my relationship with Christ is so important. It's both urgent and important. I have to press on. I have to pursue it with haste. I have to chase after it. 
And so think about this in your life. And once again, we're trying to really get this feel for what Paul is saying. If you go grocery shopping and you come out and you're putting your groceries in the car and you know how you sometimes end up with an extra plastic bag or whatever, well, what if the wind caught that and blew it? That plastic bag, okay? Are you gonna run as fast as you can across that parking lot and try to get that thing? There are probably a few of you who would, but that's another issue, okay? But generally speaking, we wouldn't, right? We're not gonna chase after that. If we can get it quick and easy, sure. But we're not gonna chase after it. But how would you chase after your daughter as a little girl if she was headed for the road and you heard a car coming? So that's a warning. <laughs> this is urgent. This is important. Right, how would you run? Wouldn't you exhaust yourself trying to get, I mean, you would just, you gotta, and this is what Paul is talking about in the Christian life, this press on, press toward. It is, our relationship with Christ is, is not only urgent, it's important. It's not only important, it's urgent. And so we need to keep it at the top of our list. We've gone all in with Jesus and we need to keep this at the top of our list. Okay, so let's, let's read a little more here. Not that I'm, I'm not, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Okay, what's he talking about here? Again, this word, this lay hold and laid hold. Same word, one's Paul talking about himself, the other one he's talking about Jesus. But it means to take hold of something with decisive initiative, okay? an eager self-interest. I need to have this for myself. And we're not talking about being selfish here, we're talking about something good and right, okay? But this isn't just, yeah, you want some? Sure, no, it's, no, I want this and you give it to me, I am going to take it in my hands. And I think, imagine this, uh, we already talked about the wind blowing, but imagine somebody is, owes you some money or they're giving you some money or whatever and you're standing outside, maybe out next to the car or whatever, and they're counting out $100 bills into your hand and you're catching it. And just about the time they're done, the wind blows. Whew. What are you gonna do? You're gonna first, you're gonna pursue that with haste, aren't you? And what are you gonna do? As you get those bills, you're gonna take hold of them. You're gonna hang on because they're important to you. Okay, and so this is what he's saying. I, I wanna get a hold of this. And what is it that he wants to get hold of? He wants to get hold of what Christ got a hold of him for. Christ got a hold of Paul because he loved him because he wanted to help him to become what God intended for him to be, to work through him, to bless Paul, for him to experience this relationship with God. And that's why Jesus saved Paul. That's why he saves us. And so Jesus has got a hold of us and we're saying what? Man, I wanna get a hold of him. It's not about being saved, you're already saved, okay? Uh, an interesting uh, fact here, let's just look at these through his eyes. Paul saying, I may lay hold of, and Christ Jesus also laid hold of. Same word, different grammar. Who loved English grammar in school? A few strange people, okay? But it's important, and Greek has grammar too. And so, so you know, uh, this first statement, I may lay hold of, is not that you need to remember, but it's called as the subjunctive voice. And what that means is this is a possibility. There's potential here. This could happen. Okay, so Paul is saying that I may lay hold of this. This can happen, but it hasn't happened yet. He, but it could happen, and I can do what I need to do to see it happen. 
When it says that Jesus has already laid hold of us, it's, it's the indicative, which means it's a statement of fact. Jesus has already got a hold of us, and he's never letting go. Isn't that good news? Amen. And then Paul says, I, wanna, I want to grasp everything that that means. I want to get hold of it because it's, it's good for me. Everything that that means, I want to get a hold of. All right, so let's continue. In verse 13, he says again, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Okay, we pretty much get the idea here. But this idea of forgetting, forgetting. Forgetting doesn't mean that I have no recollection of it. The Greek where this translated forgetting here means it's a decision to overlook it, to look differently. And the English word, put out of one's mind. You're choosing not to think about it or consider it. It isn't that you don't know it. It isn't that you don't know the past. You do know the past. In fact, it jumps up in front of your face from time to time, doesn't it? And points its finger at you. But you're making a choice. I'm not, that's not going to govern my life. I'm going to go forward. Um, Yeah, All right, I'll talk more about that in a little bit here. But so this is what he's talking about, forgetting those things which are behind. Then he says, instead, what am I doing? I'm reaching forward, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is the idea of stretching intensely towards. That's what that word means. Straining forward to reach. This all fits, doesn't it? I'm pressing on. I am, I'm chasing after this. I, I want to get a hold of it. I'm reaching out. I'm stretching out to try by the way, if you read much of what Paul writes in the New Testament, you, you start to realize Paul's a pretty intense fellow. But the reason he's intense is because he understands who God is, what it means in their lives, and how it ought to affect us. And he's saying this is so important. That's why he says, chase after it, grab hold of it, stretch out toward it. Okay? And then let's read on down. In verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This idea of the upward call. So Lord, if, if, if God talked to us from heaven today, what would you do? If all of a sudden we heard a voice, would you go? Probably not. You'd do what? Show me. Would you? If you heard a voice from heaven? The upward call of God. Lift up your head and listen to me. I have something for you. I have a life for you that you can only experience through me. It's upward calling. So that becomes our goal. And not only is our goal, it becomes a prize or a reward for seeking after the Lord. It's a good thing. Do you think God knows how to give good things? Amen. He says that. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Okay? He knows how to do this. All right. So this is what our life is about. This all fits with this all in, right? Okay. Verse 15. Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Okay. So he says, if we're mature, we're a Christian. We've, we're growing in our understanding. We're maybe making some better choices. We're growing. And he says, say, we're getting mature. We're, we're becoming more mature. As we mature, he says, we should have this mind. What mind? Well, the things that he's just telling us. Think this way. 
View your life this way. View your relationship with me this way. And then I, I just, I, I, I love all the word of God, but some things I get ex more excited about than others. And he says this, he continues, he says, and if in, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. You know, we tend to think again by nature that, you know, oh, if we mess up, God's gonna do what? Right? Straighten you out. Well, he will chastise us on the work in our lives to get us to change, but out of love, he's not looking to, to work us over, okay? Um, it says he will reveal this to us. He, he will uncover what we don't know, what we don't see. He'll show us. This is such good news because I could get really worried, right? Oh no, what am I missing? Oh no, maybe I'm messing up. Maybe, and I do, I mess up. I do miss things, I do mess up. I, you know, I do think something's right and then later discover it wasn't. I mean, all those, those we, anybody besides me? Ever feel that way? And, and what he's saying here is, hey, you do the best you can to live this way that you're seeing in the word and if you're missing something, I'll let you know. I will show you, I, I will uncover it. It's unknown to you now, I'll help you to see it. This reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where you know uh, the, the counsel for how we should live our life, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We're gonna trust God, we're not gonna depend on our own understanding, we wanna know what God says, what God wants, and it says, in all your ways acknowledge him. All right, so I'm going through my life, I'm doing my best to, to remember what he said and I'm acknowledging him and how I'm living and how I'm thinking. And here's the promise. It says, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. He will show you. Now, anybody besides me capable of making the wrong choice? All right, so here we are, here I'm coming, I'm coming through life, and this is the way God says I should be going, but somehow I don't understand, I don't get it, maybe I'm even just having a bad day and don't do what I ought to do. And so I venture over here. But really in my life, I'm trying to live this way, I'm trying to acknowledge everything. And, and so I get my, find myself over here when I'm supposed to be over there. God says, hey, I can work with that. All right, now let's, let's turn back this way. Isn't that such good news? And you know, you may have a hard time believing this because you may have grown up with parents who when you messed up, whacked you. I'm not talking about spanking, I'm just talking about anger, right? And jerk you around, all kind of stuff. And so that may be hard, but God is not that way. God is, is strong, firm, but gentle, okay? He loves you and he will take care of you. And so he will reveal this to us. They said it's such a blessing. In verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained and wherever we're at in this process, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He's talking about things he just talked about. Let's press on. Let's lay hold. Let's push forward, right? Let's forget those things which are behind. Think this way. And again, if you're messing up, he'll show you. All right. So, we, I think we get a pretty clear sense of what Paul's talking about. There are five things here, five ways of being all in with Jesus and how it should affect our thinking, okay? How should being all in with Jesus affect our thinking? The first one is this. I'm a work in progress, and that's okay. I'm a work in progress, and that's okay. 
Okay, we talk about being a work, and some people say, yeah, sometimes I'm a real piece of work. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's the idea we are God's work. God is working in our lives. Uh, in chapter 2 and verse 13 here, it says, For it is God who works in you. Who's working in you? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's working in you for all of these things we've been talking about. Uh, in chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God is working in me. I can be confident that what he started, he's going to finish. Even if I'm messing up, he's going to finish it. Okay? And then the fact that God is working, then we are working with him. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And remember we said work out your own salvation means work it out into your life. What God has done on the inside, the forgiveness, the new life, the new nature, worked out it into your life, okay, under the lordship of, of Christ. Now, uh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but now we've been going through his stuff recently and, you know, deciding what to do with all kinds of things. And, and so yesterday I said, well, I got a box of my own stuff. I think I'll look through that. So I'm going through there and finding stuff and posting stuff on Facebook because of it. Anyway, but I found it from, for my 50th birthday, uh, 17 years ago now, but my brother had sent me a card and I kept it for some reason. And I looked at the front of it and it said this, okay? He said, along with this birthday card, a couple pieces of advice, forget about the past, you can't change it. And I'm going, this is my sermon. <laughs> This is cool. And then so I, with anticipation, opened it up and saw this on the inside. Forget about the present. I didn't get you one. Uh, and so I said, well, it's not quite my sermon. Okay. But so here's the second point. I think we see it in this passage that I'm not dwelling on the past, but focusing on the future. Not dwelling on the past, but focusing on the future, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward what God has for me. And this is so important for two reasons. One, you can have successes in your past, things that you did well, and then you can coast. Well, I've done this, or I've accomplished that, or I did well. And they just, no, you need, to, you need to move on. That's good, build on it, but go forward. But probably the one that's harder for us, and that's our failures in the past. The things that we really did poorly in. We sinned against God. We sinned against our fellow man. And sometimes, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but it can just be overwhelming to us. And the reality is, did God know about all of that stuff before he created the world? Yes. The Bible tells us he did. He knew all about that stuff before he even created it. He knows if I create, you guys are going to do this. Okay? He knew about it. He still chose to create, and it says before he ever even created, he determined to send his son into the world to be our savior. So he knew all about it, didn't he? Amen. All right. I can then let it go, because God knows all about it, and he has dealt with it. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. Yeah, it's true, and I may want to learn from it and grow from it, but I'm not going to let it stop me from pressing forward. Okay, the third way of thinking. I'm reminding myself that my relationship with Christ is worth more than anything else in life. More than anything else in life. Do you believe that yet? 
You may know it, but believing is when you choose to engage and act on what you know to be true. And it really is true. This world offers you so many things, so many counterfeits, uh, the most obvious being things like drugs and alcohol and, and sexual immorality, but it could be money, uh, even some relationships, but the idea is with the world's telling us, oh, these things that are matter, and they tell you they're urgent. <laughs> but what's really important and urgent is your relationship with Christ. And, and it's, it's worth more than anything else. I guarantee you, I can promise you, you come to the end of your life and you're laying there in bed, your loved ones are gathered around and you know it's not very long that you go. You're, gonna, you're not going to say, man, I wish I had partied more. <laughs> you're gonna say, no, I, I wish I had done what God wanted me. I wish I had spent a little more time with my kids. I wish I had been honest in this situation. I wish, okay. And when we remember that Christ in our relationship with him is more valuable than anything else, then we will start choosing that. We will choose that and, and the regrets will get less and less and less. I just promise you, you will never regret pursuing your relationship with the Lord. Never. I promise you. That's not on my, that's on God's promise, okay? And so think about that when you go home today and tonight and tomorrow and you live and you're making choices and decisions. Wait a minute, my relationship with Christ is both urgent and important and all these things that we've seen Paul talking about today. Okay, let's get that squared away and now what does he want me to do? That's the way you want to live your life, okay? Fourth one, I don't have to worry about being perfect because I can trust God to show me what needs to change how I need to grow and what I need to do about it. I can what? Rest in the Lord. You know, because we're talking about a lot of fairly intense stuff, going all in, what it could cost you, your whole life, you know, be willing to die if need be, and, and, and all of this stuff, and it's pretty intense stuff, but the idea is, it is intense, it is important, but I don't have to get all worked up about it. I don't have to try to gin up the strength to keep doing this. I can rest in the Lord, go forward, day at a time, sometimes moment by moment, and he's going to work in my life. He's going to work in your life if you'll go all in with him. And then the fifth thing, my number one priority is growing in my relationship with Christ today. You can't grow in your relationship with Christ yesterday, can you? Can you? Can you grow in your relationship tomorrow? Maybe. You don't even know if you have tomorrow, though, right? Oh, yeah. The only time you can actually grow in your relationship with Christ is today. And so today, this is your number one priority. As you go through life and you have lots of things you have to do, that's fine. But through it all, your number one priority is your relationship with Christ. And so these are healthy ways of thinking that will free you. Uh, to live the way the Lord wants you to and experience what he has for you in life. Starts with receiving Christ as Savior. So let's just take a quick review of these five ways. I'm a work in progress and that's okay. I'm not dwelling on the past, I'm focusing on the future. My number one priority is growing in my relationship with Christ today. I'm reminding myself that my relationship with Christ is worth more than anything else in life. 
And I don't have to worry about being perfect because I can trust God to show me what needs to change, how I need to grow, and what I need to do about it. What do you say? You want to change your thinking? It'll change your life. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and I thank you for what Paul, your Holy Spirit through Paul has spoken to us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a sense of urgency and recognize the importance of this in our lives so that we would press on and we would lay hold and we would uh, not focus on the past, but going forward with you and uh, trusting you to show us what we need to see. I pray, Lord, help us to, to be captured by this way of thinking. And as we do, Lord, that we will become more and more like your son, Jesus. People will be able to see you in our lives more and more. And you'll just be honored and glorified through it all. We know that when you are greatly honored and glorified in our lives, that that is when we experience the greatest blessing. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a reminder to you about questions. If you have questions, feel free. You can talk to me or you can text that number. I'll be putting out a video this week, Tuesday or Wednesday, answering whatever questions you ask, okay? All right, God bless you. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next week.